tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. Blog Talk Radio. topics, I think. And today we have a a topic that's not exactly in the news, but I still think it's really interesting. And when you stop and think about it, it's a very significant topic. So I have three guests today. We don't often do three guests, but but we're going to today because, uh, by golly, we're going to do it. And uh, the topic, of course, is the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Most of us uh, who... uh, talk about domestic violence on any, in, 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 with any regularity, know the domestic violence hotline. We put it out there. It's on brochures. It's on publications. It's in doctor's offices. You'll find it on the backs of public restrooms, walls, and uh, it's just out there. And, and it's a resource that has helped many people for many years. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what created the domestic violence hotline, what it actually does, how it operates, what are some of the people, what are the calls like that people get uh, in that hotline and, and who handles it. And we have three guests with us today. Kamika Crawford, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Heather. Kamika, I'm going to let you give a little introduction to yourself, but first I'm just going to say basically that you handle communications for the organization that handles the Domestic Violence Hotline. We have Brian Pinero. Brian, welcome back to the show. You've been on the show before, haven't you? Yes, I have. Glad to be back. Good. And Brian also works for the organization uh, of which the hotline is a part. Don't you love that grammar? I love good grammar. <laughs> and we also have Whitney. Whitney, welcome Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Whitney, tell us about what you do with the uh, National Domestic Violence Hotline. Sure. So uh, I'm the assistant director of our digital services. So that's a part of our service that maybe folks aren't the most familiar with. Everyone knows us as a phone hotline. Uh, But we also offer uh, crisis services over online chat and text message. And so that's the department that I oversee. Great. Why do you think people would go to a chat line instead of a phone call? Oh, that's a great question. There are a lot of different reasons. Uh, One of the biggest reasons, I think, is just uh, an age difference and a difference in the way younger people are comfortable speaking with people about really traumatic, taboo, stigmatized issues. You know, it, it can be very difficult for them to pick up the phone just to, you know, order a pizza how can we expect them to, you know, pick up the phone and talk about these difficult issues? Um, but what we have seen is that they're willing to do it over chat and over text message uh, and that they feel comfortable doing it that way. Um, also, people decide to chat just because, um, you know, regardless of their age, they, um, you know, maybe aren't in a place where they can talk out loud. Maybe they're at work and they still want to get help, but they don't want their coworkers to overhear them or, they're home with their abusive partner, and they don't want them to overhear that. They can still get help um, through this nice, discreet uh, mode of contact. Okay. 
All right. Yeah, and I've noticed that, too. Uh, I mean, it seems like people over 40 pick up the phone and people under 40 pick up the computer. Or the, You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. It, 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 it is a generational thing, and we could debate that, all, the pros and cons of that, all up and down the, the hour. We're not going to – that's a different topic, different show. Um, so um, chat line. So why would I contact the chat line or the phone the phone number? Why, why would I do that? Kamika, you want to handle that question? Absolutely. Um, so anyone who is experiencing any type of relationship uh, violence could contact either us on the phone or by chat. Um, also, we have people who just want to check in about their relationships. Maybe they haven't been in a relationship for a while or they're entering into the relationship for the first and they just want to check in about what actually is a healthy relationship. So, you know, what we say is we walk alongside people where they are in their relationship. So if it's unhealthy and they want to check in about those behaviors or if they're actually experiencing um, some form of abuse, um, you know, that would be a reason to reach out to us at the hotline. Yeah. Well, and I think people do have questions. I mean, we talk a lot about domestic violence, and I know from my work with domestic violence issues, uh, we tend to think domestic violence means broken bones and black eyes. But there's a lot of, of... cruelty out there that doesn't involve any kind of physical contact whatsoever. And for uh, people who are experiencing that kind of cruelty, it sure doesn't feel right. It feels like something's wrong, but nobody has told you that that is, in fact, domestic violence. And so do you find yourself, do, do you get a lot of calls like that, Whitney? Yes, absolutely. There's a a broad spectrum that we get. You know, some people do realize that what they're experiencing is abuse, uh, and other people are really in those beginning stages just trying to explore, you know, what it is that's going on. Is this just drama, or is this something more serious? Is this something that I need to get help with? Is this something that my partner needs to get help with? Um, So it's great to be able to reach people at any point in that sort of realization. Brian, do a lot of young people contact the hotline? You work with, uh, you know, with uh, the youth focus programs, um, and so how does how does you know? I mean, do do people call whether it's relationship or do you have young people calling um, for not what we consider you know uh, relationship violence, but perhaps? Uh, um, child parent violence? I mean, how does that, how, well, how do young people connect with the hotline? Well, you know, the last time I was on your show, we talked a little bit about love is respect and just that that's a service that we're providing, which kind of offers the same services uh, through phone, chat, and text. And, you know, young adults come and talk about dating violence. What's, what's actually interesting is that we've actually seen a lot more young people will actually identify the domestic violence hotline as a brand that they know they're calling in regards to their parents. So, you know, we've taken phone calls, we've taken chats in which people have said, you know, I, I know that what's going on between my mother and father is, is something's not right, or I'm worried about my mother. And they they see that brand as the, the place that's appropriate for their parents. So that was something that we thought was really interesting. But we, you know, the, the whole reason why, uh, you know, we created Love is Respect is because, yes, we do have young uh, people who do contact the hotline. And even with that youth and young adult program, we still have young people that will contact in regards to a family member, a friend, but also sometimes themselves. I mean, the resource is the resource. Getting help, it doesn't matter. People want to be able to talk to somebody and take the temperature of their relationship or, or have somebody believe them. Yeah. 
Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Listen, if you have questions for Brian or Whitney or Kamika, give us a phone call, or maybe you called the hotline and it has helped you. Um, give us a call at 646-378-0430. That's 646-378-0430. We also have our chat line open if you're listening and ask a question or make a comment there. Whitney, how did this whole yeah. hotline thing get started? Well, you know what, Kamika, maybe you're a better one to answer that question. Um, how did the whole hotline thing get started? I know it had something to do with the Violence Against Women Act. That's, that's right. Um, so in 1996, uh, the hotline was really written you know, into existence as a part of the Violence Against Women's Act, and it actually um, um, Vice President Biden at the time was Senator Biden um, and had thought that that legislation and that created, you know, space for there to be a national hotline. Um, and so next over in the next year, we actually will be commemorating something that is, is very bittersweet for us. So you know, we will be actually commemorating our 20th anniversary. Why is that bittersweet? You know, it's, you know, our goal is to really work ourselves out of a job so that uh, everyone I is in a, a healthy and a happy relationship. So while we are happy that we have been in existence for nearly 20 years, um, it is a little bit bittersweet in that, that there are still people who are not safe at home, Um who are not in healthy relationships where they're getting respect. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean, yeah. Um, wow, and and that's, that is really um, significant, isn't it, that we've had a need. I mean, it's wonderful that we have this resource, um, but, you know, I mean, how sad that we have to have that resource. So, um, Whitney, what what kind of calls do you handle? How many people answer the phones or work the chat lines? And what kinds of calls do you actually get? So we have, uh, let's see, I don't know. Can someone else give the number on how many phone advocates we have? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, we've kind of, when we talk about the hotline, we talk about upstairs and downstairs, <laughs> digital downstairs, hotlines upstairs. Upstairs, you know, at our, our highest peak of the day, between like 10 a.m. and 2 p.m., where we have our highest volume, we'll have up to possibly 20 advocates on the floor maybe a few extra depending on what's going on. And, and in that time, uh, you know, they're handling almost – they're hitting almost 90 to 100% of their contacts that come in every 30 minutes. And then over the course of a day, you know, we'll cycle out in the evening. We'll kind of have about 15 people, and then at night we'll have six uh, taking the fall, taking calls. And they'll handle about 25,000 contacts if you include Love is Respect phones. So 25,000 contacts coming a month uh, to the hotline. And then on digital services – uh, I think at the height there, we'll be between 12 and 13 people that will be on the line uh, answering the chats and, and, and handling those digital contacts. And then we're kind of fluctuating between eight and 10,000 contacts between Love and Respect and the National Domestic Violence Hotline. So Whitney's team does a, a great job, I think, of really making sure that, you know, and you think about the Internet. You know, it's, it's, it's so easy to come in and just click that chat button. You know, it doesn't take it, – it's not as scary as when you call the phones and you have to talk to a live person. Um, they do a great job of, of being a, a resource and, and honestly an entry point for a lot of people, I think, digitally to come in and, and answer some questions and get an idea. And, and then maybe eventually when it's time to leave or they were going to make a big decision, they call upstairs and they, they talk to a hotline advocate. 
Wow, that is a huge volume, a huge volume, and 20 years of of, of this. You know, wow. Have you seen the patterns change at all? Um, yeah, I we, mean, we, we, we've seen some changes. I'll tell you what, before Ray Rice, and, and even with, you know, we were seeing a decrease in, in phones, uh, and we were seeing an increase in digital contacts, and that's kind of to be expected. Um, and I think, you know, one thing that we want to make clear is, is that the phone is not going away. I mean, the phone is an important part of advocacy. I think whenever anyone's going to leave an abusive relationship, you're going to have to talk to a live person. And so I think chat is just a great introductory place for people to start the process, receive support, or even realize, like, I need to, you know, hey, maybe I'm ready to go to shelter. Maybe I'm ready to leave. Um, and I think some of the other trends that we're seeing is, you know, we're we're also seeing really interesting things where we're seeing a lot of, of, of gay men are utilizing chat services more than you're utilizing phone services. And so I think as the digital services continue to grow, and Whitney can talk a little bit more about just kind of the differences we see in talking to young adults and adults on chat, we're going to we're gonna see new ways that people choose to use the, the Internet and toss things over the invisible wall and ask questions, and then we're going to continue to see the power of running that number whether it be after a football game or every time that there's something on MTV and regarding domestic violence that, you know, we'll see how people will just connect to the issue and just really just want to be heard. So it's really, it's really wonderful to have these two services to see how can we make both of them work in a way that can assist anybody, no matter what spectrum they are, the spectrum of their relationship with their lives, how can we help them and what will best help them utilize our services to get the help they need. Kamika, how does the the hotline get funded? Is it all through the federal government, or how 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 can it afford to operate? Well, we get funding from a number of places. We have some very generous generous supporters in the federal government and um, the Department of Health and Human Services, and often um, office for victims' crimes. But we also have a number of private um, and corporate donors. So Brian referenced after a football game. Um, the NFL is a very generous partner for us. Uh, Mary Kay has been a long-term partner for us, um, as well as Verizon and the Avon Foundation for Women. Yeah, and those, of course, are, other than the NFL, um, long-time supporters of domestic violence issues, um, uh, you know, work for domestic violence issues uh, with those corporations. So right. do and you I have a be, figure? I'd be remiss, I'm sorry, if I didn't talk about the individual donors. So we also have a number of people who, who either have experienced violence themselves or, you know, maybe their family member or loved one or they just say, you know, I want to support someone. So we also have a number of individuals who contribute as well. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, and you're set up to take individual donations? I mean, if I uh, had $10 I wanted to send you, I could send it to you? Absolutely. Um, you would just visit our website at thehotline.org, um, or you could uh, text to give. Um, so, yes, absolutely, we are set up to take individual donations. Oh, that's cool. Um, okay, so, um, Whitney, yeah. How do how do the all these people who respond and uh, you know work the compu- the the chat lines and and work? I I'm up in Washington and I call you. You're in Texas. How on earth are you going to know what are resources for me? Where I could go if I'm in trouble? We have this amazing database uh, caller application that has over four thousand resources all across the country and and all of the U.S. territories um, with local service providers, 
and legal resources that have been vetted by our database team, um, and we're able to look up any part of the country. Um, so, you know, that can get a little bit tricky when you've got someone, you know, working in Texas who's never left the state, and um, they're talking to someone in New York, and they have to figure out how the five boroughs work. Um, so that can be interesting to navigate, but. Uh, with the help of our database, we're able to make that happen. Uh, they don't have to be experts on the whole country or memorize everything. Um, it's a pretty amazing, seamless uh, interaction for them to be able to look up those resources. What kind of training is involved before you can get on, uh, you know, on the the, the listen line or the hot, or the uh, hotline or the the chat rooms? I mean, what what kind of training do folks have to have? I mean, I can so, picture me. You know, answering the phone. Oh, you'd put me in front of the phones, and somebody would call, and they're in trouble, and they're high, and I would be outraged, and I would say, I want to just get in my car and go help her. You know, <laughs> so I mean, what kind? Obviously, you have to be more professional in order to be helpful. So, so what kind right. of training? Yeah, well, and I think that you know what you described is the natural instinct of a lot of people, but we uh, go through a very rigorous training process with all of the advocates that we hire uh, or volunteers that we take on. They go through 40 hours of classroom training, and we're actually looking at bumping that up to 60 hours because there's just so much to cover, and we can't get it all done right now uh, in just 40 hours. And then after that, uh, we do... Um, post-training monitoring where advocates get to do practice calls and chats before they ever have to, you know, take a live contact from someone. So they are very well-versed in sort of the our guiding principles and our crisis intervention model and, you know, how to navigate our database before they, they have to talk to anyone. Uh, so okay. a lot of people are nervous when, when they first start, but they, they get so much hands-on support that yeah. we always feel confident when we put them on the lines. 20 years, Kamika, how many people have have gone in and out of the organization helping people, and, and do they burn out? I mean, it would seem to me you'd burn out after a, after a while. Um, well, right now we have a little bit over 200 employees, and that's full-time, part-time, that's advocates, that's administrative staff, um, you know, are really working in this space. Um, we have an amazing uh, wellness program. So Whitney talked a lot about all of the training that goes into supporting someone um, as they're getting ready to take calls, chats, or text messages. But also, you know, we our wellness program is one in which, you know, we really focus on the individual, um, you know, focusing on their them as, an, as a whole person. And it, it's not just something like, you know, hey, be well, and it really is something that, you know, we focus on. If you've just had a difficult call or a chat, how do you let go of that? Um, you know, how do you make sure that, you know, you are taking care of yourself so that you don't start to suffer from secondary trauma? How do you identify someone in your life? So if you're starting to change and it's starting to look like maybe you're showing some signs of burnout, you know, there are things, that you can do. And then also we encourage, you know, if someone is having a hard day and, you know, they've had a lot of difficult calls or chats, you know, if, you know, maybe you need to take a step back that day and come back tomorrow. Yeah. So you you really focus uh, on helping folks deal with this. What's the longest term that somebody has, has, has done this job? 
And Brian, jump in here, but um, we've ha- I know we've had a couple people who have been here almost since the beginning, 19 years. Yeah, we uh-huh. have a few advocates that have, have been for the entire length of, of the organization, and we've been very and, and some who came a year after it opened. Um, you know, I think. I think now, honestly, I mean, I think the the average lifespan can be between three and four years. You just, you know, I think one of the things is with any of this is that, you know, the passion that I think people come into this job and just to, you know, we train really great people. We, we create really great advocates. I think we educate people very well on domestic violence, and those people go on and take other jobs, whether they're supervisors for child protective services, or they go out and they become probation officers, and they leave from here, and they go on and they do research work. Or st- we we have a lot of people that leave for new opportunities, including going to grad school. And, and the thing I think that we're most proud of is even in, in those three, four years, 10 or 15 years that they're there, is that we've created someone who's not just an advocate for the lines. Or they're an advocate for it, for talking about domestic violence in a way that's inclusive, that everybody's relationship is important, but also just the dynamics. You know, I, I, I always refer back to when I was a, a CPS worker, and I remember I went on an investigation. I went to a home and. This man had had been abusing his wife, and, and eventually it started resulting in the children getting involved in it. And I remember walking out of that house, and I was about 26 years old, being like, you know, if he's going to hit her, that's her problem. But the minute he starts hitting the kids, I don't feel sorry for her. And just how how dumb I sounded and how uneducated on the issue. And, and when I came to work for the hotline, I really learned the complexities and just why it's not – you can't just walk away. And, and it's so much more complex that I think that that's the biggest legacy that it doesn't matter how long an employee we have is when they leave here, they understand the message of us and they're taking that out and educating others in their work. Yeah. Yeah. And that whole education thing, I mean, and I know I've, I've told this story so many times, people are sick of it, but I, I was in the grocery store and, and was stopped by a woman I did not really know, but she knew um, that she knew of me and, and that I worked in a little bit in the domestic violence area. And she said, please help me. My neighbor is being terribly abused, da-da-da, and she won't leave. I don't know what to do. She won't leave. And I said, my first question was, does she say why she won't leave? And this woman rolled her eyes. She rolled her eyes, and she said, oh, she says he's going to kill her if she leaves. And I said, then he probably will. You know, (laughs) he probably will. I mean, I would take that very seriously and not roll my eyes at it because she knows him. You don't. Um, You know, and and the notion that it is so easy for us if we don't have anything in our experiences that would, I mean, people say, oh, I could just kill him or I did it. I mean, of course, people say those kinds of things all the time and they roll off or we don't take them seriously. But when you're dealing with an abuser, you take it seriously. And the fact that there was nothing in her background, nothing in her experience that led her to believe that you had to take this kind of a, of, of a thing seriously. Um, she just couldn't grasp why this woman just didn't get up and go. You know, I, I've heard people say, well, she just needs to sit him down and tell him, you know. That <laughs> right, and, and, yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and it's like I, I'm, in some ways, it makes me happy because that tells me that in that woman's world, that kind of a strategy works. Unfortunately, it doesn't work in other people's worlds necessarily. And so that that whole notion of getting, you know, people to understand is huge. It's just huge. And, you know, I mean, obviously the hotline has done some wonderful work, but, Brian, when you're telling me that, that people are leaving there with an understanding, that alone is is worth the price of admission in my view. So, 
Good on you, folks. Good on you. Thank you. (laughs) Now if we could just cycle every judge and jurist and lawyer through your program. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) For a couple of years, we might actually, you know, be making a dent here. So, Whitney, what's in the future for the program? I mean, do you anticipate continued federal funding? We Every so often we hear about VAWA being challenged, and last time it was just really difficult. So how do you um, ensure that the hotline is going to be there, or can you? Uh, I think that that's a great question for Kamika or Brian to handle, actually. That's yeah. Oh, I'm thinking Kamika. I was thinking Kamika. I said Whitney. I don't know. I'm sorry. We've got great partners um, in the federal government who stand with us as we continue to work um, and reauthorize VAWA. But, you know, that is, that really gets at why our individual partners and sponsors and our corporate sponsors are so important um, to, you know, the work that we do at the hotline um, because, you know, we you talked about earlier, um, you know, what if I wanted to make a $10 donation? Well, that $10 donation really goes a long way. So, you know, we continue to, you know, work with our partners in the federal government, but we also work to be creative about how do we get other funds coming into our organization. You know, and and if I can jump into, you know, I think what the hotline's more than just taking calls or more than taking chats. You know, we're we're involved in policy. You know, we're involved in awareness. Um, you know, we're we're currently involved in, in several projects. One of those, which is another government funded uh, project, in which we're trying to address uh, privacy and privilege. You know, we know we've reached the extent of where we can go with the internet uh, without having a little bit more guidance from the federal government about how can we make sure that these conversations that we have with people um, won't get uh, called into question or get pulled in by an attorney when it's involved in a divorce case or to make sure that we can keep the the safety that they have in talking to us and looking at mandatory reporting rules when it comes to a young adult who wants to reach out. And so this privacy and privilege is, is looking at if we ever want to move forward and move into video and, and start looking at how can we start providing victim services um, to police departments that we know are strapped for uh, with funding to be able to provide uh, counseling or, you know, just very basic crisis work uh, in person, after, maybe when they report on the scene after a domestic violence incident. How can we start exploring those things? Well, we're going to have to work through Congress. We're going to have to work by developing great policy. We also have surveys that we are working on in which that we're, whether it's from looking at law enforcement to looking at um, things surrounding mandatory reporting to even just how do people um, how are they? How are they figuring out how the the internet is affecting financials and how somebody is coming in and potentially stealing your identity? That stuff is is, is great pieces of information that we take back to the Capitol Hill. That we also work with our partners to create great um, recommendations. So, I mean, the future is really looking at how are we going to take this this amazing amount of information and data that we collect, and how do we make it work for the field so that we can improve funding we can explore new opportunities, and that we can also just continue to evolve, that we can represent everybody with good data, with good information, and and the personal stories that we capture when we talk to these people. Yeah. Let's talk about some of those personal stories. I mean, obviously things are private, and we don't need to know names or anything like that. But, Whitney, can you tell us about some of the calls, I mean, some, some of the actual calls that you've received or contacts that you've received? What are some of the situations 
where people yeah, call in sure. for help? Uh, you know, there there's so many that that you know overlap. Um, there, you know, we get lots of calls from, say, um, you know, uh, someone who is young, and they come in thinking that they're the one uh, with the problem in the relationship. They want to know how can I make my relationship better. You know, how can I get my boyfriend or girlfriend to trust me? Uh, and so through some assessment by our advocates, we're able to, you know, then determine, oh, it's, you know, you're doing everything right. You're doing everything you can possibly be doing to, like, you know, show effort in this relationship and make sure that it's healthy. And it's your partner that's the problem. Um, you know, actually, some of the things that you've described, you know, suggest that your partner is abusive. Um, and that can be a really moving moment to be able to arm someone with that kind of information and to reassure them that, you know, they are doing all of the right things and that, you know, their feelings that have maybe been minimized by their partner are completely valid. Uh, and then, you know, going forward, we've been able to safety plan with those folks, talk to them about options, talk to them about whether this relationship is something that they're still interested in, uh, in pursuing, you know, knowing knowing what they know now. Um, and and so those are, you know, some of my favorite conversations to see happen. Um, some of the, the stories that I think um, don't get told very often um, are about, you know, family members and friends too, um, you know, because they make up this second highest call volume that we have after, um, you know, victims and survivors. Um, and, you know, some people, they they are doing everything right to be supportive, um, but then there are a lot of close family members and friends who, who have the, you know, gut instinct to just say, like, you know, how do I pull them out of this relationship? How do I get them to leave? Sort of like the, you know, story that you were describing. Um, and so those are great opportunities to have conversations with folks about, you know, uh, you know, it's really important not to force, you know, your your teenage daughter to break up with, um, you know, her abusive boyfriend, because in some ways, you know, forcing her to do that is mirroring the actions of her abusive partner. You know, you really need to be empowering. Here are ways you can have open conversations without being judgmental, uh, you know, without doing things that can potentially, you know, push your child away or push your close family member away. Um so yeah, I I mean I could go on forever. There are so many different scenarios that we hear every day. Okay. Um if I were um do do most of the calls come from women who are unsure unsure and uneasy about their relationships or do most of the calls come from people who are at, in actual danger? Yeah, I think I think one of the things it's I think we get a lot of people. The one that I think we get the most is that we get a lot of people who are just coming in and saying, like, hey, look, you know, the way that he talks to me and the way that I feel, you know, I just don't like the way he talks to me. And, you know, everybody tells me that I'm crazy or that's not true. He's such a good guy. You know, the biggest ones we get, I think, are people who just want to be believed. They just want someone to say, I believe you. I believe this is happening. And it's nothing like when you hear that moment where you hear that big sigh that's, somebody believes me. And then, you know, from there, it could be somebody who is in immediate danger in which that he has, he has, he has strangled her or he has hit her or pushed her up against the wall. And then there are other people where he stands over me 
that he threatens to throw something at me or he threatens to that he's going to throw me out of the house. And so the danger is always there. The escalation is always there. Um, that we we go in between people coming to the realization that this is a bad relationship and I need to start thinking about my options. To some people who are just saying like, you know, I something has always felt wrong and it wasn't until that I saw the Ray Rice video or that until I saw this flyer or until someone said, you know, something doesn't feel right, call this number. So, you know, I think there's always danger there. Um, but I think the one, the biggest thing I think with the cause you get are people who are just looking to be believed and taken seriously. Yeah, that that's that's touching. Um, I, I I can see exactly what you, what you say because you know when you're dealing with domestic violence, uh, you're dealing with somebody who has a public face and a private face. And you know I always think of that. You know when the 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 guy gets arrested and uh, for you know abusing his child or the sex offender or the rapist or whatever, and they always go uh, to the neighbors, and the neighbors say, he was such a nice guy. He was such a nice... Well, of course he was a nice guy to everybody mm-hmm. except he wasn't the ones he wasn't a nice guy to. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, he was such a nice guy. I mean, I remember uh, a headline. Gosh, I wish I could remember that. I, I did some, some work on... Uh, my undergraduate degree is in journalism, so I'm always very interested in the media and media coverage of these things. And I was doing some research and some work in the, the coverage of uh, domestic violence issues uh, in the media. And I, honest to goodness, found a headline that said something like... I, I'm, I'm misquoting it, but it's the gist of it is the same. Nice guy shoots children. You know, I mean, I mean, and they were serious. Oh, it was wow. not tongue in cheek or anything. I mean, it was a, you know, it was kind of like this lovely family man, you know, and and then of course we're always looking for the. Well, he just snapped. Something happened that made him snap because he wasn't really, you know, I mean, he was such a nice guy. Well, you know, we all know that that there's nice guys and there's nice guys and and you know that, but but we seem to miss out on that whole idea of the public face and the private face uh, when we're but talking I think about. The media. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think the media is changing. Um, That's one of the things that has been, um, you know, kind of rewarding to see, and even in the ways that we're having interviews that used to just be a lot of victim-blaming interviews, or why is she staying, or what is she doing, and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And the conversations now that we're having with reporters are really more um, thoughtful and really more about education and digging deep around what is domestic violence? What does it look like? What warning signs should I look for? Um, you know, yesterday I was just with someone, and it was less of an interview and more of us brainstorming together on how do we really educate readers that are going to see this piece. How wonderful. And isn't that gratifying? I mean, there's no, I, you know, I'm, I'm eager. I, I'm actually, there's a, a an organization called JAWS, uh, Journalism and Women, and I'm going to um, a conference in a couple weeks with them. And I'm really looking forward to because I've spoken with them and and uh, we've talked about this whole issue of how do how does one report, you know, with this kind of issue. And so I I, okay. I do see that there is a growing interest and growing awareness in a lot of media. But there again, you know, in today's climate where everything is you know computer 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 and faceless, um, there's so many sources of you know information whether it's accurate or not. Wow, I mean, what an uphill battle, you know, to try and, and and educate every source out there that has the potential for getting information. I mean, you know, that's huge. That's huge, huge job. So uh, I'm glad people are starting to tackle it. So, Whitney, 
age, average age of people who call in and the average gender? Uh, so the the vast majority of, of folks who contact us are women, um, but we do, of course, you know, receive contacts from people of all genders. Um, and the, the average age tends to vary based on um, mode of service. Uh, I believe the average chat age um, is uh, somewhere around 25, uh, and then for phones, uh, it bumps up to about 35. Does that sound right, Brian? Yeah, that sounds about right, and I think that that's just kind of natural. I'm sorry, Kenny, could you say something? No, yeah, I, was, I actually was just looking at this yesterday, and, and Whitney's right on. Um, the majority of our um, calls coming into the hotline were bet- people between the ages of 20 to 25 to 35, and in terms of chat, um, our number one age category was 20 to 25. Wow. And I, and I think that that's just we're going to continue to see, I think, uh, as the more that, that cell phones, I think, you know, that now with the capability we we're developing uh, a really nice chat platform that works very nice on mobile on mobile devices like cell phones. And as we're seeing more more adults, older adults also uh, learning, getting on Facebook, getting on digital platforms. And we're going to also start seeing that go up too as, as we people become more and more aware, not just of the chat program, but just having the ability to just check, to watch TV with a cell phone and say like, wow, I just saw a commercial that talking about domestic violence and I, I Google search and let me go ahead and start a chat. So I do think that that number will go up with chat. Yeah. Well, and you know how you were talking about the age going up and people, I, I was reading something the other day that the average Facebook reader is, or average Facebook user is over 50. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and, and of course, my kids tell me, you know, Facebook, they, they wouldn't touch Facebook with a 10-foot pole, you know, they're, they're onto something different. But but it's the same deal, you know, same deal, you know, it's the same deal. Um, and so, you know, people are becoming more, more. Um, I mean, there's just no doubt about it. We we are all becoming much more tied to our computers and, and you know, so that, the, you know, the, that you're looking at uh, resources for, for people to utilize that technology is really uh, kind of a rewarding thing, you know. Yeah, good, good on you, you know. Um, okay, so, Whitney, I'm 15 years old, and I am in Maine, in the woods in Maine. I don't have any friends or family around. I'm kind of isolated, and I'm starting to feel really uneasy about my relationship. And so... I get on a chat line. What would I say on that chat in that chat room? Really, whatever you feel comfortable with. Um, every chatter who comes in um, gets our welcome message. They get information about our privacy policy, um, and we just start out the chat with, you know, how can I help you? Um, you know, sometimes the answer to that is exactly what you've said. Um, you know, you're just starting to feel uneasy about your relationship. Um, other times people are, are really unsure about what to say and our advocates can, you know, coax that information out of them asking, you know, what what made you think to chat with us? You know, what, what's what been going on in your relationship lately that made you think to, to contact us? Um, so we're really just, you know, all about making sure that the people who contact us are feeling comfortable feeling like they're going to be supported, know that their conversation is going to remain confidential. Um, so, yeah, and then from there we will form form a plan based on the information that we get from the person that contacts us. Do, when, when somebody contacts you, are they ready for 
an attempt at a solution at that point, or are they just, like Brian said, they just need to vent a little bit and, and learn a little something and come to realizations before they're ready to leave, uh, or is there no average anything on that? Oh, yeah. I think there's just such a wide variety. Um, a lot of times people aren't aren't ready to talk about um, sort of, I think, traditional solutions that people think of, like, you know, just, just breaking up or just going to a shelter after you break up. Um, and obviously, you know, if you're 15, that's not really um, an option most of the time. Um, and it's not an option that's very appealing to young people in particular um, that, you know, they just want to be heard and understood. And sometimes, you know, even once they get to the point of realizing that their relationship is unhealthy or abusive, um, they're not ready to take any action steps. And that's completely okay with us. Um, you know, if they want to stay in the relationship, uh, we will have conversations with them about how to stay safe, you know, how to, you know, make sure that they're keeping their passwords private um, so that their abusive partner doesn't try to, you know, spread rumors about them through their, um, you know, Twitter account or, um, you know, who are um, people that she's identified in her life that um, can, like, maybe, like, walk home from school with her so that she doesn't have to be alone, um, things like that. Um, there's just a wide uh, array of options that you can offer someone, you know, depending on whether they're, you know, at the, um, you know, just the initial realization stage where they want to mull it over um, and decide what, if anything, they want to do or if they, they want to, you know, maybe get a protective order um, because we do have lots of young people who are willing to consider that an option once you, um, you know, present it to them and explain the, you know, pros and cons of, of taking legal action for something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how many times does a caller call in? I mean, I, I could see, by the way you're describing it, I, I think before we started talking, I thought, well, somebody will call in once, they'll get some resources, yeah. and then they'll go to their local resources. But it sounds you know, like maybe our... this... Go ahead, Brian. I was going to say, you know, the majority of the calls we get, they're, 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 it's first-time callers. We get a lot of first-time callers. That, that's probably the most, I would say. Now, we do get a lot of people who say that are in the course of I'm going to use this resource over the course of the next six months. And so we do get people who we know that are like, I made a plan. This is the plan I made. I just want to follow back up. Something happened. You know, I'm getting a protective order. And then we safety plan with them. And we say like, okay, once you get that safety, that protective order, go ahead and get a couple copies laminated. Take one to the daycare. We educate them on how, if something does happen, how to talk to their, their, their friends and families and their neighbors and then they call back and they say, like, okay, I think I've, I've, I've saved up enough money. I'm in that place where I'm ready to go. You know, we do get the – and then eventually they call us and they're ready to leave. And they say, I'm leaving today, and I'm ready to find that shelter. So we get those calls too, but a lot – most people call us it's just that first time they're contacting us and they've seen it. And a lot of times it will result in – it's a first-time call. It's a first-time realization. It's a first-time exploration of a plan of action, and then they take that resource, and then they – they're involved in services, and so that's, you know, and a lot of times, you know, that we, we don't hear from them again, but we'll get a call maybe six months later, I'm out, I'm good, I'm better, I got away, and I just want to tell you how thankful I am for everything you've done for me. Yeah. So you, it must be, 
do individual uh, and and I I'm looking I'm searching my vocabulary for the word the the person who answers the phone or or responds to the chat line what are they called what is that respondent called we call an advocate. advocate okay so does an advocate um talk with somebody um and then that person calls in another time it's a different advocate or do they have a, a, a is there a mechanism for the same advocate or how does that work it's it's typically a different different advocate. If they were to get the same advocate, it would be purely by chance. Um, we we always encourage folks to call back if if something changes or if they need more advice later on down the line. Um, but and we let them know that you know all of our advocates are trained the same and they can give you the same level of support. Um, and and some people you know would prefer to speak to the same person, um, but at the same time we've got advocates who are you know responding to hundreds of people a week and it, it's not reasonable to expect them to you know remember everyone's scenario especially you know two months later um and so we don't keep ongoing case notes every call or chat that we get is treated as a, as a totally new interaction and it's also yeah. been done in the way to protect that victim um the violence against women act has very specific language about making sure that we maintain that confidentiality when somebody calls us so you know, the expectations when you call, you're going to get the same great service. You're going to get the same thing. And, you know, I mean, we, you know, we know we talk to people. And, I mean, even as being a former advocate, you know, I, I can remember that, you know, I, I talked to the same woman over six months. Just every now and then she'd pop up. And, you know, and, and it's just that good training of understanding. is like, you know, you treat them like they're a brand-new person. Sometimes they'll, maybe they'll recognize you. They'll be like, hey, I think I've talked to you before. I say, we might have talked before. I think we might have talked. But it's just, you know, part of that's just good training and recognizing that, you know, we, we the mission of the organization is help people no matter who comes in on that line. And also just that discipline of knowing that our job is to be that frontline worker who is that gap fill between uh, the shelter, between getting out of that situation and then supporting them as they're moving through, trying to either get free or starting over again. Yeah. When so if I am calling back two or three times before I uh understand, have the strength, have the knowledge, you know, have the options um to uh get out of a domestic violence situation. Um Brian, you mentioned that sometimes people call back and say, Yeah, yay, here I am, I made it. Um, but do you ever uh, hear from, uh, you know, or hear about I, I I guess what I'm asking is do you ever know what happens to the people you speak you speak with or you contact? Yeah, you know, I mean, we we get all kinds of people, and I mean, you know, I, we've we've had whether it's been athletes who will call, whose wives will call and say, like, you probably, you know, my my husband is 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 a professional athlete. He may have heard us in the news, and you will tell a story, and maybe you've read that as we always do, and you know, you don't let on and know that you know that, but you know, you know that maybe something's happened. We know that. Um, part of the discipline too, and that too is making sure that we don't go digging for information about people, and we talk to our advocates about that. But a lot of times, yeah, you're right. I think that's the hardest part, right? You hang up the phone, and you know, I, man, I'm and I'm just thinking about one right now. I remember talking to this woman, and I just she told me how bad it was. Just that he was just a torturous person, and it just was escalating and escalating. And I just remember telling her like, I'm really worried about you. I mean, I think I think he could kill you. I, you know, I know that, you know, you need to do what's best for you. I just want you to know that we can try to find somewhere for you. And I remember hanging up that phone and just saying, like, I, I'm really worried about her, you know, and I, 
but you, that's part of the discipline. You have to let it go, and, and sometimes you don't get that answer, right? You don't get that know, knowledge of, like, she got away, and, you know, you just you, you, you kind of put out that silent that silent prayer, that silent thought of just, like, I hope everything's okay. I hope I did everything I could as an advocate, but there, most of the time we just do not know what winds up happening. We try to really hold on to the success stories because of that, you know, the calls that we do get where someone, you know, calls just to say, hey, thank you so much for the help that I got a few months ago. Or, you know, every now and then we will get donations from someone who said, you know, I I couldn't donate money to you when I needed your help, but thank you so much for the help that you gave me, and it's been five years since then, and I wanted to do what I could now that I can. That's right. Um, I think we've had, you know, one person who – got out of an abusive relationship after calling us, um, sent us her, her wedding photo when she got remarried to someone who was, you know, really loving and respectful and, and thanked us so much for, you know, talking to her about how she deserved a healthy relationship and she deserved that respect. So when we do get, you know, those stories, even though they're few and far between, I think we all try to, you know, hope that those are really what's happening for the folks that we don't hear back from. Yeah, yeah. So how many contacts, how many calls over 20 years, Kamika? We have answered over three and a half million um, in the last 19 years, and and we are set within the next year to hit four million. Four million, wow, wow. But think, you know, I mean, uh, this whole conversation, Kamika, you said it when we were starting out, that it's it's a bittersweet um, celebration that you're facing, and and I think this whole conversation has been bittersweet, bitter in that four million people need to have this kind of a resource, but sweet in that they have this kind of a resource. So wow, right. um, wow! And um, how long have you been with this organization, Kamika? I will um, have my one year next month. One year. So you're a newbie, Brian. You've been I, there a while, haven't you? That's right. I have been here a while. I actually started in 2003 as an advocate, so and I'll be here about 13 years in uh, 2016. Okay. And Whitney, are you a newbie or have you been there a while? Um, sort of in the middle. I just hit my four-year mark this past summer. I started out as as an intern when I was in grad school, and um, I've stuck around. Um, it's, it's a great place to be. It's difficult work, but it's work that I can feel really proud of, um, and that is very meaningful to me, and that's what keeps me coming back every day. Wonderful, wonderful. I admire your dedication, all three of you. I really do. Um, It's tough work, as you said, but you know what? Sometimes it's the toughest work that's the most gratifying. So you've touched on this briefly before, Brian, but what what do you think is in the future and uh, for um, the, the hotline and for the organization? The immediate future. Yeah, I think in the in the immediate future, I mean, we've got some uh, some exciting things that are going to come out. We've got some great surveys that we're working on that we'll be releasing very soon. That I think is going to have a huge impact on just understanding like the components of what, whether it's with working with law enforcement or working with the courts or even um, I think in just reporting, uh, we're going to have some exciting information that's going to be coming out here this fall. Uh, also, I think in in twenty in twenty sixteen. Um, the the work that we've been doing uh, specifically with OVC, um, we're putting together. Which is we're doing what, a lot more right? tech, what? What is uh, what is in, for our, 
our OVC work with our digital service, we received a grant with them to uh, provide digital services, expanding them, and also just in talking a little bit about like uh, doing some technical assistance. They've brought us to several opportunities to talk to not just advocates in the field, but also to smaller programs such as shelters and coalitions and talking to them about best practices and developing digital services. So I think you'll continue to see our work with that. And and also you'll see uh, our work with the Native Hotline that will be coming um, in the next year. Um, we're working with them to help establish that. They'll be building off of our backbone. And uh, I think this is a really exciting, especially we know that that population, just to have a peer-based model in which that you can actually speak to someone who is a Native American and how powerful that will be to help, especially because we know with the, la the last reauthorization, just the horror stories we heard about what happens uh -huh. on those reservations. Yeah. So that's another thing that we're extremely excited of. And just, I think, our policy work. We've opened our D.C. office um, this past year, and we've got a fantastic policy team, which also includes Lynn Rosenthal, who was in the White House under uh, Joe Biden, uh, Vice President Joe Biden, and just the work that they're doing and just their everyone is wanting to come and work with us and figure out great ways to try to get better tools, but also just to provide better content for our website and services that we can help people. Kamika, how is the history of this organization going to affect the future? I mean, I think, um, as with any organization, you stand on your history. So, you know, as Brian and Whitney have both mentioned, you know, we are really poised um, in the way that we were founded and the way that we sit to be the voice of the people who are experiencing domestic abuse. So, you know, how having that history and being the national organization of having the ability to be the voice, um, to collect the data, to talk about what people are experiencing day in and day out, as Brian just mentioned, it, it's really helping us affect policy. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, strikes me is, you know, this is based out of Texas, and i got to tell you, I do a lot of contacting and a lot of calling and da-da-da-da to different organizations. It's always, you know, the West Coast or the East Coast where they're centered. This organization is centered in Texas. How did that happen? Well, it, it – you know, go ahead, Kamika. Oh, go ahead, Brian. Well, you know, when 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 they also when they said that they needed to build a hotline, they looked, and at that time, the Texas Co the Texas uh, Family Violence Coalition was uh, one of the largest coalitions in the country, and uh, it came to Texas. I mean, it makes a lot of sense in a central time zone to be set up because you're able to serve the East Coast and the West Coast. Um, and I think also just the good work that the Texas Council had done, whether it was you know, in developing policy, but also I think just working and building the community and just the diversity that's in Texas, whether it's down south on the border, east, um, along the Louisiana-Texas border. And also, if you go all the way west, I mean, El Paso, there's a very unique culture. Working and, and understanding just kind of what the needs are for different populations and having three of the largest cities in the country, uh, it was a great place, I think, to start. Um, and I And I think that we can't ever forget the work that was done just by the Texas Council and helping us get started. Um, but that was one of the reasons why, is just that it was they were already doing great work and they, they applied and received the grant. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that makes sense. That makes sense. Politically, where does the hotline stand and for how long? Um, Kamika, is that one yours? You know, we have to we have to be an apolitical organization um, because domestic violence reaches across um, party lines. It reaches across socioeconomic groups. It reaches across all 
you know, races and, and people of all backgrounds. So we really work with Republicans. We work with Democrats. We work with Libertarians. We work with everyone because domestic violence is something that it really impacts everyone. Yeah, yeah, good answer, good answer. Um, what, I mean, for right now, VAWA passed, um, and it's good for how many years before we have to look at the crisis again? Uh, it, it'll be good for the next four years. Four years, okay. So there's four years where your funding has, is reasonably assured, and um, you know, and you can you can carry out the work. Um, Brian, give us give out the 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 phone numbers, give out the uh, web address. Tell us how people can contact you for whatever reason they would like. Yeah, absolutely. If you go to uh, you can always reach us if you go to our website. And 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 the thing about our website that we're Really excited about it. It's not hard to find the, the chat button. You can actually go on there. If you go to uh, the hotline.org, you can actually get there and see uh, the chat button. You can click on it. It's open. Uh, we're not open 24-7, but we open at uh, 7 a.m., and then we go until 2 a.m. And then, of course, uh, I just dropped my piece of paper. And, Kamika, if you could go ahead and give the phone number out for me. Absolutely. Well, I can do um, that. It's one 800 Seven nine nine seven two three three, one eight hundred seven nine nine seven two three three, and uh, I frequently give out that phone number on this show. It's a, it, I have it right here on my wall. So uh, it's a good hotline. It's a good resource, and it's probably uh, the one go-to number that you need when you're you're talking to somebody about domestic violence. Whitney, and I want to point out that that number is twenty-four-seven. Okay, great. Uh, Whitney, you're on the front lines there. Um, in in the next minute or so, can you give us some final thoughts before we uh, wrap up the show? Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, I think just we're so excited to be embarking on our uh, 20th anniversary uh, of our existence. I think we've grown so much in the in over the years and, and we're excited to keep growing. Um, you know, I think that our our vision is not just, you know, and in domestic violence, but we're really interested in seeing people in like healthy, positive relationships too. Uh so we really want to go that extra step. Um I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. That's something? great. <laughs> Yeah. No, I think that you've you've summed it up, you know, and the the idea that the hotline number is a resource, it's a resource for people who are in trouble and who need help, but it's more than that, it sounds to me, and I've learned a lot on this show, so thank you. One of my uh one of the things that I do is I try to end every show with a quote, and um this quote is powerful, but I want to preface it by saying that domestic violence is not just broken bones and bodies. Domestic violence can be um and 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 more frequently is uh, more subtle than that, and so at the risk of reinforcing the idea that domestic violence only in, is is only domestic violence if it's you know bruised or broken um i'm I'm going to uh, read this quote again because I think it's so powerful. And this is a quote from Sarah Niles, uh, an author of uh, Torn from the Inside Out. In America, it is reported by some sources that there were more domestic violence-related murders in the home than 58,000 American soldiers killed in the entire Vietnam War. We are in a state of domestic war. The battlefield is in the home. And I think, again, just to reinforce that war 
doesn't all result in, in, in every dead body. Well, wars result in a lot of damage in other ways as well. So I want to make sure we don't lose sight of that. Brian, thank you once again for being on the show. Whitney, it was a joy to have you. Kamika, thank you for your knowledge and uh, your enthusiasm. I have to give uh, Kamika props because she put, she put together this whole show. She, she did the efforts, and, and I really appreciate it. And I have learned a lot. I hope you have learned a lot as listeners as well. And uh, I thank you for being here. Don't forget the hotline number is one 800 799 Seven two three three. A lot of people say, what can I do about domestic violence? And I say, carry that number with you. And when you need it, hand it to somebody who, who can benefit from it. 1-800-799-723. Thank you for joining us this week. Thank you, Brian, Kamika, Whitney. Join us again next week for Three Women, Three Ways. <laughs>